Today on the podcast, I talk with Kelsey General. She lives in British Columbia, Canada, and she is a single mom to Brentley and Lincoln, both of whom were diagnosed with autism at a young age. And since their diagnosis, she hit many roadblocks to accessing services. And so she's taken steps to educate herself so that she can support them. She's very passionate about empowering parents to learn how to support their kids so the whole family can live a full life. And I met Kelsey almost three years ago in the online space. We had a mutual friend and we have a great, great chat. We've been in constant contact online. She's very inspiring to me. I talk a lot about team and how parents and individuals with autism are the most important people on the team. And that's why we're all together. She shares with us really great information about how she's helping her son the team that's comprised of helping her sons and how they really live an adventure-filled life. I'm so excited for you guys to listen to this chat with Kelsey. Let's get to it. You're listening to Autism Outreach Podcast, a podcast full of ready-to-use strategies to help those with autism strengthen their communication skills. Here's your host, Rose Griffin of ABA Speech a speech therapist and board-certified behavior analyst who shares tips you can use in your next therapy session. Thanks for joining us on episode 21 of the Autism Outreach Podcast. My name is Rose Griffin. I am here to help you learn strategies you can use in your therapy sessions tomorrow to help your students. Today, we have Kelsey General with us. Thanks for joining us, Kelsey. It's so nice to have you on. Hi, Rose. It's good to be here. So nice to uh, meet you. Kind of, I think this might even be the first time we've actually talked face-to-face. We've met virtually a couple years ago through Mary Barbera, Dr. Mary Barbera's course and membership. And I feel like I know you. We've done some collaborations on Instagram. I talk about Instagram a lot on the podcast because I too like to spend a lot of time over there. Although TikTok is kind of stealing my heart. But you know, it's, it's good times over there too. Can you tell us a little bit about you and your journey in the autism world? Yeah. Yeah. And we did meet a few years ago now. It does feel like we know each other. But yeah, I'm Kelsey. A bit about me is we live in British Columbia, Canada. I have two boys with autism. Brentley is six now and Lincoln is five. And our journey started when Brentley was very young. He had a large regression around 15 months, and that kind of started the wheels turning on all things development and autism. And and it seems since that day, it's just been autism, autism, one foot in front of the other, one, you know, getting a diagnosis, getting early services. And back when he was diagnosed at 25 months, we were actually in Alaska. And then we moved home to Canada, where I thought Brentley would be able to get a lot of services. And because Canada has has universal health care, right? And it turned out to be the opposite. And Brentley got almost no services. And that really changed our autism journey. And around the same time, Lincoln was also diagnosed with autism at 25 months old. Oh my gosh. I so just that's the really... start of the autism journey. Yes. That's just a, I'm also a single mom. So oh I my gosh. I know the story. I'm over here just like, it's it's a lot, Kelsey. It's a lot. Yeah. So I'm excited yeah. for you just to break it down because I know that there's yeah. a lot of parents that, I mean, I get asked just like all the time, even just from people in my neighborhood, you know, like so-and-so, I mean, it may not even be autism related, but it's like, 
like, I think my child has a speech delay or I think my child has a language delay and but they can't get assessed at school because they're not three. And what do I do now? And what does it mean to qualify? So I know, you know, whatever the diagnosis is, parents, when they have an inkling that something is going on and that their child needs help, it can be really, really overwhelming to navigate, you know, what do I do? How do I help my kids? So I'm excited for you to share uh, your story because it's beyond inspiring, (laughs) (laughs) beyond inspiring. So today, what we're really going to do is discuss your story because it's it's an inspirational one and the importance for parents to find good providers and for providers to include parents. And that's definitely something that I talk about a lot. I know when I was thinking about starting the podcast and talking about names with, with my husband and, you know, looking up names like, oh, that one's already taken or, you know, what are we going to name it? I loved outreach because for me being a provider and helping families is so important to have that collaboration piece. And I think sometimes as a related service provider, as a speech therapist, sometimes it can be a little nerve wracking to have that ongoing communication with parents because sometimes if you're in a school-based position, you may have a lot of students to serve and every single student is important and it's hard to touch base with every parent like you'd like to. But as I've gotten older and feel more comfortable in my role, I definitely think it's so very important for everybody to include parents, that they are a super important part of the team, as well as the individual who's receiving the service. So I'm excited for you to come on and share those things with us today. Can you tell us what was your path? You mentioned a little bit, but to getting the autism diagnosis for your sons, you know, what were kind of, you said that Brentley had a regression. I really don't know the specifics of that. So can you talk to us a little bit about what you were concerned about, kind of the steps you took to get that diagnosis? Yeah. So actually, I mean, we could go back. I did mention bring up concerns when Brentley was six months old. I thought he was deaf. I would walk into a room and, you know, you would speak and the milestone said the baby should look to the sound. He did not do that. And so I brought up that concern then, but, but that kind of went away and around at nine and a half months, he was walking, you know, his development kind of took off at 10 months old. He was signing, he would sign bird and he would sign dog Mm -hmm. and he would say dog. And so he had all these things that I kind of even forgot about that. And then at 13 months old, Brentley had an episode where he stopped walking and he was hospitalized for four days. Mm -hmm. Nobody knows what's happened. That has happened four times now in his life. And nobody knows what's happened. After that, his slow regression started. And by around 15 months, he had no words. He had no signs. And he had totally regressed. Some days he would be more connected to us and it would be like, oh, you know, we're, we're kind of crazy. And then the next day he would be totally shut off and, and it would be like, oh, it's clear something's up. But the doctors, even though he got a 14 on the MCAT, which I think is like the highest you can get or pretty close, which is a screening tool for toddlers, he scored the worst. And they actually said that they wouldn't refer him to a developmental pediatrician until he was two and a half. And at this point he was 18 months old. And I fought quite hard with the doctors and eventually did get a referral, but it took quite a while to get in. And he was diagnosed at 25 months, but Brentley had all the classic signs of autism, loss of speech, no social communication. Like he would play alone all day happily, Mm. you know, no sense of danger. He didn't respond to his name, just, you know, every sign of autism. And and then he started getting the challenging behaviors like self-injury and So he had all the classic signs. And so it shouldn't have been a fight to get a diagnosis, but it was. And then Lincoln was actually the opposite in signs and in ease of diagnosis. We were in Canada when Lincoln was diagnosed and he was a late talker. And at 13 months old, he was very obsessed with balls and he was, he would just, 
he was starting to develop some early signs of social communication delays. And because the wait lists are extremely long in Canada, I just, I said, oh, he's a sibling, you know, can we just put him on the list? And the doctor was like, yeah, he's a sibling. Let's put him on. And I was like, okay. And from there, Lincoln eventually developed speech. Uh, He began speaking paragraphs about dinosaurs. He seemed like he had on track speech, but he actually didn't communicate to us. He would like go bridge and yell water. Mm-hmm. He would stand there for five minutes. We have video. He would just scream wow. water at the fridge instead of like turning to a person. And he also struggled with very long tantrums, but not in a way a typical toddler would. Like if a typical toddler wanted a door open, they would cry at the door. Yeah. And then turn to their parent. Like, are you watching this? Like I'm right. losing it. I want this right. door open. He would stand at a door and like grab the handle, kick the door, do everything in his power for hours and never look to another person. Right. And there was nothing you could do. And so his signs were very different because he had a lot of the language that a lot of people Mm -hmm. would say a young toddler, you know, he's fine and and he can pass off as fine. I'm doing air quotations. Mm -hmm. People would pass him off as fine and people would pass him off as fine even still, but he, he actually has a lot of social uh, communication deficit. Okay. So he is more com- So their language levels are, are totally opposite. Then. Okay. Totally opposite. Their profiles are totally opposite. Lincoln wow. is fully conversational. Now he is very advanced academically. He is your typical Asperger type presentation and, okay. and Brentley and Brentley is classic, classically affected by autism. Wow, those are two different, so different. <laughs> I know. So oh my different. gosh, that's really wild. Yeah, that you've yeah. had uh, both those experiences. I can't imagine. Yeah, yeah. how that felt. A lot of learning. To, a lot of learning. Absolutely. Oh my gosh. So, so okay. So you get the diagnosis, and mm-hmm. then I guess, and then what? I mean, what do you? Yeah. So you said the waiting list, which I know that, and I'm not. I don't do a whole lot of assessment, and you know, I'm more of school based practitioner, but. I know that a lot of people, my friends who own clinics and things like that, talk about how there are a major waiting list. And I think that's a universal concern for a lot of parents, right? Because a lot of parents might say like, oh, there's a delay, but sometimes we're not sure. Like, is it autism? Is it some type of delay? We know the child needs a diagnosis and they need service. So so once you're getting the diagnosis, talk us through, you know, what did that look like? What were the services? You were feeling hopeful that you were making this major life move it seemed geographically yeah. to get services maybe well, it wasn't like that yeah well it wasn't really to get services so we were in Alaska and I actually I was in a domestic violence situation and we mm. left okay but I stayed in Alaska until Brentley's diagnosis day because oh, okay. we were waiting we were waiting yeah. and so we got the diagnosis and I got a prescription for like in in the states they write prescriptions there was like for 40 hours of ABA and Mm -hmm. all this speech and all this OT. And my best friend in Alaska was actually a BCBA before my child was diagnosed with autism. I had no idea what she even did. I was like, oh, I don't know what you do. That's really Um, random because I can't imagine how many BCBAs are really in Alaska. I mean, I'm sure there's a lot more now because the field is growing, but that is kind of, wow, small world. It was funny. So I, I knew what Brentley needed. And I knew I could get it in Alaska. He was receiving a little bit of speech therapy through EI and all that. But we had to leave for, you know, different personal purposes. But I didn't really know what the autism world was like in Canada. So we moved back to Canada. In order to get health care, we had to wait three months. So that was another three months with no services. Wow. And during those three months, I learned that Brentley was only going to get about $22,000 a year to pay for services. And that's everything. 
Mm-hmm. That's ABA, that's OT, that's speech, that's everything. Wow. And really, a program like that costs upwards of $100,000. Sure, easy, yeah. So I realized Brentley was going to get not many services, mm-hmm. maybe six to eight hours a week with SLP consultation. So during those three months, I was not only investigating where I was going to get them services, but I also realized really quickly I was going to have to learn what to do for them because I also live in a rural area. There wasn't really BCBA, so there was not really a great what's next. For, right. for Brentley, honestly. <laughs> right. So, but I did know he, he needed services uh, yeah. thanks to my friend and the developmental pediatrician's recommendation. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So what, so then you have this, you know, you know <laughs> that he needs services, but you're yeah. not going to get the services you think that you need. So how did you, I mean, how did you decide to start learning? I mean, get, I guess you're just, you just needed to, right? You needed yeah, to learn. So I'm a very, a lot of, parents talk about get being in grief after an autism diagnosis and that's totally normal and and good I didn't go through that period yeah really at all I was relieved when Brentley got diagnosed because we knew and how I dealt with it was at that time it was well if I just if I just do this it'll be fine if I just do Mm -hmm. this it'll be fine and I think a bit differently now, but I'm going to say that was my mindset then. Mm-hmm. It's fine. We're just going to get this much therapy. And by five, he's going to be fine. This is fine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this mm-hmm. is fine. And so I just was very, I took a lot of action steps pretty immediately. And my friend was always giving me resources. I mean, I think I read Early Start Denver model before he was even diagnosed. Um, yeah, I read, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I read, you know, more than words. I had all the more than words books. I was, you know, so it, it became apparent like really quickly that I had, that I had to learn in order mm-hmm. to, to support him. And, and I thought I was just going to be like a support person for his eventual therapy team. Sure. Um, but didn't really turn out that way. It was a bit of a different path, right? So how? Did, so then how did you happen on Mary Barbera? So Dr. Barbera, yeah. I actually read her book. Where was that? I was moving from Ohio to Texas after we got married. And I was going to be working in a district that was, they said, using verbal behavior. So I wasn't exactly sure what that meant, even though I was had exposure and was working in some non-public schools here in the United here in Ohio. And when we moved, I knew that that was going to be a little bit different because I hadn't heard of that. So I remember going to, it was actually a college library. And I remember getting her book out of the library, The Verbal Behavior Approach, and I read it. And I was like, oh my gosh, this really makes a lot of sense. And so that is how I learned about her. And then down there in that same position, it was really the coolest job where I was acting almost as an autism consultant in Mm -hmm. this school district that had 35 schools. So I would talk to the speech therapist, I'd do a presentation, and then I would go out to their campuses and I would visit them and I would help them work with students who had challenging behavior, students that were emerging communicators. And that was really kind of how I... I learned about, you know, Dr. Carbone and Dr. Sundberg <laughs> and started using the VB map. And I remember when Mary, like, I, I don't know if it was probably a Facebook ad or something. I saw that she had a course. So I, I took her course, but I emailed her and I said, it was like, we're going to be friends. Like, I know that we're going to get along really well, yeah. which is really true. I consider her a friend and a mentor now. So it was really just her book kind of brought it all together for me. So how, how did you find out about yeah. her course? Because I know you've taken her course and things yeah. like that. So I, I got Brentley into a program with the only BCBA I could find around. It was like a drop-off preschool program. Hmm. Yeah, uh, <laughs> it was very good. Um, and he would go there a few mornings a week. Um, they weren't really involving 
involving me. There were some other red flags that were happening and he just wasn't getting enough hours. And I was talking to my BCBA friend and she said, you know, I've heard about this course for gung-ho parents. Like, and you're a gung-ho parent. That's how it used to be marketed. Yes, right. right and, yeah. and you're a gung-ho parent. And she sent me the link. And I think I watched a, a workshop and this was in like November of 2016. So only a couple months after he started ABA. And I bought the course and I immediately watched it all. But that's how I found it is it okay. was really like, oh, I saw something for gung-ho parents. And right. I was like, well, I do need to learn more because I don't know what's happening here. And yeah. he's barely getting enough hours. So right. yeah, oh, that's, that's how I found it. So did <laughs> yeah. he like going to that preschool? I am curious. Did he like going? Was he okay with going? No. Or no. I'm just curious. No. Okay. No. So it was, it was run by a BCBA. Yeah. There was some BIs and... They used, I think, the ABLES assessment, but his behavior plan was very backdated. There was a lot of escape extinction. He was held in a chair. Um, He was forced to match colors. He ran out of the building. He actually jumped out a window at under two and a half years old. Yeah. Um, Those are red flags. He didn't like going. Yeah. Um, And I asked to sit in and I was allowed one time and I was taking no, I was like writing questions for the BCBA because I knew not to like bug the interventioner and that I was not allowed to watch anymore after that because Mm. apparently Uh I made people uncomfortable with my writing. I have Um, a lot of people that observe and they take (laughs) notes. Oh my gosh. That's not good. Parents are such an important part of the process. I mean, I think that's good for any parent to hear right now. And I think that's good for any provider too, because I I see a couple kids from my private practice that are younger, actually, and and some are just, they don't have autism. They just are working on speech sounds, but the parents are there, you know, like I'm in the house. That's kind of the setup that we're doing it. But, you know, it's just nice to build that rapport with the parents. I, I love that piece of my job, that part of my private practice, because I feel like when I have that rapport with the parent and that kind of carryover and generalization, that it's so very important. So definitely if somebody doesn't want you to observe or if you're not getting your questions asked or if you feel like as a parent, your questions are a bother, that should definitely be a red flag. It, It was a big red flag. And honestly, until I took Mary's courses, I felt like, well, it's fine. He's in services. He's in the Mm -hmm. six, eight hours. It didn't matter. It was like, I can work with this. I could like talk to the BCBA. I could teach her what I'm doing at home. Like I can make this work. He just needs to be in this therapy. And I tried to make it work for too long. Yeah. Right. For too long. And and that's probably, you know, the best thing I learned from Mary was just what it should look like, I I guess. Mm -hmm. What it can look like and what parents involved can be. And that's why I advocate so hard now for that involvement of the parent, because I I didn't know that I could say he's not coming here anymore and he's not going anywhere to any services because I can't find quality service. Right, yeah. right. And, and I'm sure works. there's a lot of people too that are struck, you know, like especially, and you don't have to be somebody who's living abroad, but I know that just with the people that I talk to and um, do meetings with that, you know, it can be really hard to find providers who you're comfortable with, providers who have a level of expertise, especially with Brentley having some behavioral barriers that were pretty intense. I mean, yeah. to say the least, yeah. right? Because I know that they, they are just mm-hmm. in kind of following your journey. So, okay. So then yeah. you decide to 
So you take Mary's course, you're really getting educated. I think what's great about too, just taking courses and kind of learning about things is that I think it fills parents with this ability, confidence to advocate. I mean, you just aren't sure. You don't know what you don't know. I think especially too, you're, I mean, here you are a mom trying to do the best for your kids and you just assume on some level that people are going to be doing their best. And, you know, sometimes your best isn't good enough if that was the best, right? That's not good enough. So you decide, you're educating yourself. So you decide at some point to take him out of those services. Are you then providing services yourself or talk us through kind of what that looks like? Yeah. So I tried to make it work with them. I took video of what I was doing at home. I tried to bring it to the BCBA. I, you know, circled parts of the behavior plan that I wasn't comfortable with. And, and talked to, and it really came down to it wasn't going to change. And one day they actually called me and said, Brentley is a liability. Jeez. He cannot come unless he wears a helmet. But there was no plan to like make him wear the helmet. There was no plan to decrease the helmet. Like there was just not things in place right. to warrant that type of intervention mm-hmm. in, in my mind. Right. And so I decided, I was like, you know what? He, he's just not coming back. And I should have made that call earlier, but I said, he's not coming back. And that kind of began my journey of teaching rhythm. And then he was home for about nine months. And, and yes, I used everything I was learning in Mary's courses, the more than word books I had some early start Denver model stuff, Mm -hmm. you know, everything I could get my hands on. Right. And I was just living our life. I would do table sessions, kind of like Mary describes in her courses. Right. But outside of that, I was just living life and implementing behavior strategies in that life. And Brentley, you know, made big, big progress, way more progress at home than he did. Where where you live, I know we were talking before we started recording, (laughs) but where you live, um, Kelsey has this really amazing, what's your Instagram handle? Uh, little adventure family little adventure family you need to go follow because i'm always checking out your pictures i mean where you live is absolutely stunning or where you're driving yeah. to you know like you said yeah. close well, by there's snow and all the things and yeah. i'm like wow this is really amazing because that's something that i talk about too um just with my students because i tend to in my school-based job work with students who are older and i just feel like for, for a lot of learners that a lot of really powerful instruction really comes from embedding work on communication. I mean, outside, right? I always put in the larger school environment, right? For most students, I'd say 95% of my students, I don't even see in the therapy room. I really see in the school environment, whether that means that we're working on vocational jobs where we're talking to administrative assistants and we're taking things up to the library and talking to people and orienting. And there's so much that you can do with embedding communication and all also working on some of those behavioral skills too out in the larger environment. So you guys really do a lot of, just tell everybody kind of just some of the things that you guys do because yeah. it's not like, it's really kind of cool. Like the stuff you guys, yeah. it's an adventure. I mean, really. Yeah. Yes. Our whole life is an adventure. You know, when Brentley was young, I started going outside with him every day and I wasn't an outdoors person before, before kids, but it, really it was something I, not at I'm, all. No. I'm completely <laughs> stunned by that. I know I have no. a, fr- a neighbor that had a shirt that said I'm indoorsy. And I thought that's really funny. Like a play on outdoorsy because yeah. you seem so outdoorsy. You've like, well, pivoted. I am now. Okay. I am okay. now. Okay. But when Brentley was like three months old, I hooked up with a mom in Alaska and started a chapter of what's now called Hike It Baby. And I ran a hiking group and I had never been outdoorsy, but I was escaping, you know, being home. Sure. <laughs> 
Yeah. So, uh, yeah, we began going outside every day. And when Brentley w- was young and around diagnosis time, it, he was very dangerous to take outside. I mean, right. it was a lot of work. He had to wear a harness. He had to wear, you know, I had to have him in a carrier. And it was one of my main therapy goals to be able to live our life without being isolated. Right. Uh, the therapy he was in didn't care about that. But that's what I cared about. And that was my main goal. And through learning about ABA, through learning about, you know, different therapy methods, I was able to teach friendly to be safe outside and to come and stop and, right. and, and all the things. But being outside is very, very important to us. Friendly snowboards now, Lincoln snowboards, enjoy skating, swimming. They both swim. We are always outside. We are always embedding, learning outside, you know, pointing out things we see. It, giving my kids experiences are, is really important to me. And we, not everything is great every time, right. but I've just always taken the path of if it's bad, like at one point we couldn't even leave the parking lot, but every right. day we left the parking lot one step further. And it's always a lesson in what do we need to teach? Right. You know, that's why, how I always keep my hope. It's like, it's not that we can't do this, mm-hmm. but there's some skills we got to build. Right. And so it's all kind of an assessment. You know, you talk yeah. about assessment probably a lot <laughs> and, and every outing is an assessment of sorts. It's fun and it's an experience, but like, oh, he like ran around that tree and ran around that tree 30 times and and had a really hard time transitioning. Oh, maybe we should practice, you know, getting really into an activity and practicing transitioning. And so it's always, it's always a learning experience, but it's Mm -hmm. also where we all are at peace. And, and I encourage parents to, to not frequently encourage parents to not let an autism diagnosis or any diagnosis really define what you can and can't do. Yeah, I love that so much. And I, I remember yeah. being at a talk once when I was like a new speech therapist and um, the director of our of our center was just um, talking about how, you know, when you have a child who has any sort of disability, that your world can feel really small. You know, I, I feel like in the past 20 years that I've been practicing that there are things and there people are making strides. And it's definitely a regional type thing where, you know, yeah. now they do have autism and this is just what they call it. But, you know, in a sensory friendly play or, you know, a sensory friendly story time. And there are more of those types of offerings. But I, I think that idea of two, that's why I'm really big into and this is why I like you too a lot, is that I'm really big into like leisure skills. So I work with older students. So you know, one year we were just like kind of like walking around our building because we have like a really big building. And I was like, oh, why don't we generalize this to like walking on the track, you know? And then maybe we could generalize it to like going to the gym because we live in an area where there's like a really nice uh, workout facility. But I'm always thinking of teaching my students lifelong leisure skills because I think Mm -hmm. that just leads to overall joy and happiness. Like those moments are like nice family memories for you. And I I feel like, and I don't know because I don't have children with disabilities, but I feel like sometimes when maybe when you have a child with a disability sometimes, and especially as they get older, I feel like, if you don't embed some of those activities now, it can be really hard to have those shared family moments because there can be a lot of barriers to yeah. experiencing them. Yeah. So I think that's really it, it, empowering that you do that. It definitely, it definitely can be. And I, and I remember, you know, we talk, my kids are not easy. They both have severe behavior challenges. Yeah. So I think a lot of people think my kids are easy when I talk about what I do, but yeah, they have severe behavior challenges and it would have, and I remember sitting sometimes and being like, my only 
goal in my head was we can't isolate. We can't isolate. We can't let this isolate. Because once you, I felt like at that time, and I'm not sure if this is true, if I let that happen, that we weren't going to be able to go back. And, and so that's why, and you know, my kids, I always did organize sports growing up and that's probably not the best environment for my kids. And so I've enjoyed channeling that into learning new things they can do. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. I love that idea. And you know, I think you really do share those moments too on your Instagram too. You do share. So make sure you follow her over there because you are, you know, you lay it down. You're like, today was a hard day. And I'm always like, oh man. But then I see like, oh, today was a good day. And Brentley, you know, did this or Lincoln did this. I'm like, oh, yay. You know, it's a a little moment. I feel happy for too. So there's definitely, there's definitely ups and downs to it. So, but yeah, we, we really enjoy, enjoy that part of our lives. And there's a lot less social rules outside. So right. if you're struggling yeah. to find activities to do and you're like, oh, my child doesn't like waiting in lines or all these things. Right. I always say, think about what motivates them. Think about what would have low barriers and just try it and then yeah. adapt adapt yeah. from there. Right. Assess, right? You said it's all everything's an assessment, right? You're kind everything. of observing. <laughs> yes. I love that. I'm all that's me always. So what do you think? What advice uh what can other parents do to learn more about how to help their children? If there's other parents that are listening that are feeling kind of like oh, this is relatable. I can relate to this or I'm on a wait list or I think my child has a disability, but you know, I'm having trouble getting services. What would be some pointers or some some first things to do? Yeah. So, I, I mean, obviously that depends on the, on the child's age and, and what the issues are. Um, obviously that's a broad question, but what I would say is find resources like Rose has an online course. You have one. I correct? do. Yeah. Help me yeah. find my voice. Yes, I sure Yeah. Do. And so Rose has a course. Dr. Mary Barbera has courses that help parents. There's books out there, like I said, more than words. And I think it's early start to your child with autism as the parent version of, of early start Denver mm-hmm. model. So if your child is young, picking up some of those books and resources, mm-hmm. following speech therapists and behavior analysts on Instagram can actually be a really good way to get quick tips. Mm-hmm. And if, I mean, if you have the financial means, there are a lot more behavior analysts, speech therapists, NOTs doing tele therapy and direct parent consultation, even an hour or two with someone could help point you in the right direction of things to try at home while you wait. Yeah, those are all good points. And actually, by the time this comes out, because we're filming this kind of ahead of time, I mean, <laughs> kind of ahead of the game, guys, ABA Speech is going to be offering teletherapy services, speech therapy services in more states than just Ohio. Uh, currently, we're yeah. offering them in Ohio because that's where I'm licensed, but I've been putting together a dream team of sorts. I was telling Kelsey of some SLPs who are also BCBAs and SLPs with very specialized uh, knowledge and how to support learners with autism. So that's something that by the time this comes out should probably be, you know, happening. So I'm excited about that. So tell us what, so what does, what does Brentley and Lincoln, what do their services look like now? What does that look like? Yeah. So I'll say quickly that Brentley, after about nine, nine months at home with just me, I thought we were good to go. And he went into a daycare full time with a one-to-one support and I went back to work. Hmm. That lasted approximately a year and a half before he had a crisis moment and had to come home. Okay. And he has been home ever since. Okay. And he is homeschooled. I changed my work around. So I still work full time, but I'm able to homeschool. Mm-hmm. I am his main therapist. Um, we have no other therapist working directly with Friendly. Okay. However, we do have one main BCBA and other BCBAs who 
consult in specialized areas, like a precision teacher to help with his academic and a another precision teacher who works on motor movements and some mm. oral stuff. Mm-hmm. And we do consult with an SLP and OT um, as needed. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and I do all the direct intervention. Okay. And I have for quite some time in Brentley's challenging behavior is down to zero or near zero. So that's really good. Lincoln. Oh, Lincoln. Um, he is also homeschooled right now. Okay. So last year, just Brentley was homeschooled and uh-huh. Lincoln was in daycare. Now yeah. Lincoln is full-time homeschooled. He has a one-to-one who comes sometimes and works with him. And we ha- she, he has the same behavior analyst as Brentley. And I do all of his services as well. And hopefully Lincoln will go back to public school in the fall um it was just kind of a crazy year so we just decided Mm -hmm. to keep them home but yeah and our behavior analyst watches we have cameras all over our house yeah that she has access to so when things happen she jumps on the cameras and watches we have zoom meetings a few times a week Um, that's great yeah so we probably have about 10 hours of behavior analytic services a week of people supervising me and training me on working with them they watch me they don't work with the kids right one to one Right. Their feedback coaching. Well, that's, yep. that's great that you've been able to, to get that support. Yeah. Um, <laughs> man, well, it's a lot. Oh, oh my goodness. You're doing a lot. I'm beat just listening to it. I mean, really, you are really inspiring, yeah. Kelsey, you are. So I always end the podcast with a final kind of question. So what is the most important piece of advice that you would want to pass along to parents or professionals about supporting learners with autism? For parents, I would say your most important thing is you can support your child. I know that sounds basic, but I think a lot of parents get an autism diagnosis and they think, well, here you go, professionals. I guess I don't know how to parent my child. And that's so wrong. You can parent your child. It's the same child you had. They do need some extra support, but you need to bridge the gap between the therapy and home. And it is being just mom. It is being just dad to do that. A lot of people say, well, I'm just mom and I'm just dad and I I don't do any of that. Mm -hmm. But I mean, all parents support their children and all parents teach their children. We just have to learn different ways to teach our children. Mm -hmm. We still need to do it. And so you're very capable. You're capable. If you see something you don't like, if you see something that's against your values, you should say something. These people don't know better than you just because your child has an autism diagnosis. Mm -hmm. That would be my that's great yes no i love that very very great thank you so much for joining us today and sharing with us it was great to talk to you i know that i feel like we know each other but really you broke it down now i really know um a lot more so where can people find you i know instagram is probably the best place can you tell us your instagram username again yes my instagram username is little adventure family and i'm mostly there right now i've had some ideas to branch out but i am I'm going to be honest. I am like totally, (laughs) totally tapped out. Yeah. So life is busy right now, but I I do hope to be able to do a bit more, but yeah, come follow us for all of our outdoor adventures, share some of our homeschooling. We do things quite a bit differently. So I, I I mean, I think it's good to get a different perspective sometimes. Absolutely. Definitely. Make sure to check (laughs) out over there. I hope that you guys enjoyed the show. And if you haven't done so already, make sure to hit subscribe and write a review and remember to keep things fun and functional. And I'll see you next time. Thanks, Kelsey. Thanks for listening to Autism Outreach. If you enjoyed the show today, make sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode full of actionable strategies you can use in your therapy room. Write a review too. That would mean so much to me. I always love hearing from you. 
Have a specific topic that you want included on a future show? Reach out over on Instagram, ABA Speech by Rose, or visit me at www.abaspeech.org.